Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Universe Within Podcast. <clears throat> this episode of the show is being sponsored by the Amazonian Plan Healing Center, the Temple of the Way of Light. I've worked at the temple for a number of years now, and I can really attest to the quality of the work that they do. <clears throat> uh, they're located in the Peruvian Amazon outside the city of Iquitos, uh, about two hours outside in the jungle. It's a really beautiful location, and predominantly they're working with the plant medicine ayahuasca, working in a lineage of a group of people called the Shipibo people who have a really long and, and in-depth knowledge of uh, especially working with that plant, but really with working with the whole pharmacopoeia of plants in the Amazon rainforest. Um, they run 12-day workshops in which they're doing six ceremonies. They work with four different Shipibo doctors, healers, curanderos, uh, two to three facilitators. There's a, a yoga teacher. There's an amazing support staff, an integration team. Uh, they work with massage uh, specialists, bone doctors. So it's really just an amazing atmosphere to go really deeply into this work. They, they create a really beautiful environment, uh, one of the better, if not the best, that, that I've seen uh, to go really deeply into this work. And um, as we spoke a little bit about in this podcast, that's a really important thing is creating, a, uh, I don't necessarily like the term safe space because that has uh, other implications, but creating a, a space that's really conducive uh, to, to go into that work. And it, it truly is a safe space. And, and that's really important to feel that uh, that ability that we can truly let go and that we're, uh, we're not in, in harm, you know, whether that's physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, that we really feel secure, that we can go really deeply into this work and get all of the amazing benefits that it has to offer. <clears throat> So uh, if you'd like more information about the temple, you can check out their website at templeofthewayoflight.org. Uh, they were closed for a really long time during the pandemic, but they are back and up and running. Um, and then also myself and my colleague, Marav Artsy, who I interviewed in, uh, I believe, episode 28 of this podcast, uh, are continuing to run dietas or diets. Um, predominantly in the tradition, one of the traditions that we were trained in, working with tobacco and tree barks. Uh, but we really combine a lot of different modalities, and it's an amazing opportunity to work uh, both with myself and Marav, uh, who has a tremendous amount of experience getting to work with a, a man and a woman, and just two different people in general, and those energies that they bring. And the dieta process is a really amazing opportunity to um, also, as we spoke a bit uh, about during this podcast, uh, to really learn from plants experientially uh, by by ingesting a plant, by going into a, 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 a period of isolation and fasting and really developing a connection with a plant to, to, to learn from it and in a sense to have it as a, a friend or a teacher, an ally. Um, so if you'd like more information about that, you can check out my website at nicotianarustica.org. Uh, and also Marav has a site, tobaccodiets.com, and I'll put a link to those in the show notes. Uh, my guest for today is my friend Sandra. I met Sandra here in the Sacred Valley of Peru. 
She's a really interesting lady. Um, she is, uh, I guess you would say, an herbalist. Uh, and so she works with plants in that way as, as herbal medicine. As she also said, and we talk about this in the podcast, this idea of plant spirit medicine. So not just working with plants on the physical level, but also in the mental, emotional, and the spiritual level. And uh, she studied a lot of different traditions from European herbalism to traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, uh, and a lot of, um, I guess, what you could call more indigenous traditions here in uh, Peru and also in Mexico. So it's a really fascinating conversation. It's a conversation I've been wanting to have for a long time because it's a, it's a really big and important part of this work of working with plants. Um, sometimes here they refer to it as vegetalismo, uh, but it's this idea of, of using plants to cure, to heal. So it was a really beautiful conversation. I enjoyed it, uh, and I, I think you all will get a lot out of it. As always, if you feel you are getting something out of this podcast and you'd like to support, that's a really big help. Um, Patreon is a really beautiful way. It's a subscription service for as little as a dollar a month. You can sign up. There's different tiers you can sign up for, and it gives you also uh, things back. So it's also this kind of interesting process of Aini or reciprocity. <clears throat> if you feel like you're getting something from the podcast, uh, supporting the podcast via Patreon, and then also getting something back via Patreon. Uh, so things like early access to shows, bonus material, Q&As, um, and that's a really big help to me to continue to be able to produce these shows and bring on these guests. Uh, to all of the people who have done that, to all of the patrons, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate your support. Uh, there's also the ability to direct donate via PayPal. I'll put a link to those in the show notes. Also with the YouTube channel now, there's the option to join the channel and uh, it's essentially giving the same benefits as Patreon just via the YouTube page. Um, if you're not able to do that, as always, subscribing to the show is a really big help, uh, helping with the algorithms. Uh, so on the YouTube uh, channel, hitting the subscribe button, um, turning on the notification bell, liking the video, that's a really big help to get the show out to a bigger audience. And then with the audio version, uh, Apple Podcast is still the biggest one. So following the show via Apple Podcasts and um, leaving a starred rating and a short review, that's a really big help. Um, so I think that's it. Uh, and so without further ado, here is my conversation with Sandra Hamilton. Maybe at a Temascal for the first time, I can't remember. And then we went on a plant walk together with mm -hmm. uh, Leticia. Mm -hmm. Leticia. Yeah. And that's how I knew that you worked with plants, because you kind of led that, led that plant walk. So maybe just to start a, a little bit about your background, who you are, where you came from, oh. and, and how you got interested <laughs> in, in plants and herbalism, and, mm -hmm. and how you ended up in the, the valley here. In the valley. Yeah, I'll try and keep it somewhat uh, short because um, it's been an interesting journey for me with the plants is um, I enrolled in an herbal program like 10 years ago 
And so essentially 10 years I've been working with plants and I've had different teachers along the way, like in Mexico, in the U.S. Uh, here I've had different, just putting all the pieces together, different cultures and backgrounds with different herbalists. I've apprenticed with the herbalist in the U.S., but I was getting my undergrad in photography, and then I was just like, I don't want to do this with my life. <laughs> and I enrolled in like an art education program because I was just like, I don't know what to do. And I was miserable. I was like so miserable. And I was just like, oh, spirit, help me. And then one day I just got this random email. I don't even know how I got on the like uh, newsletter of this herbalist, but I got on the newsletter somehow. I don't even know how. It was like uh, she was doing a plant wisdom herbal certification. She called it community herbalism, but it was really based on plant spirit medicine. And so it was a year program, and I enrolled in it. And then we went to Mexico and studied with a cuandera there, and she works with temazcal. And then we learned about all the limpias with eggs and plants. And I was hooked. I was like, you know, when you find your path and you're just like, addicted but for me it was different it was like it came so easy it was just like I've done this before I didn't have to study in a book it was just like retaining everything and I hadn't experienced that with other um systems of education like being in the western college education system it just didn't work for me and so I dropped that program I could on I I dropped the whole college art education program. I was just like, no, I was like almost done too. I dropped it all and then I signed up for the herbal program without even like thinking about it. And it just, it changed my whole life. Like I always tell people when they start working with plants, any kind of plant, even if it's just, you know, dandelion, a weed, and you're just working with it, it shifts your consciousness. It's in a slow way. You know, there's power plants that shift your consciousness in a, really rapid way but I've observed that people just go through deep transformations when they're either in herb programs or start working with plants their lives shift and so that happened to me I mean granted I've had a lot of shifts and layers unfolding but my whole life changed and I I finished that program and I like sold everything that I owned and I went on like a six-year journey of just like traveling and studying with different herbal teachers and working on different herb farms, making medicine, uh, building herbal gardens, working on food gardens. So my life really shifted in that way. But what really brought me to the plants essentially was like when I was a kid, I was obsessed with herb stores. Like these, when I was a kid, there were these tiny herb stores that were like the old school herbal health food stores. And you walk in and they had a certain smell like for me, I retain information through smell. So with plants, when I smell them, I usually remember them. And when I was a kid, I was obsessed with that smell, like the smell of plants. And I would be like, ask my mom to take me there all the time. And then, you know, I started getting on a different path and forgot all about the herbs. And so, I, you know, 10 years ago is when the herbs found me. But I kept getting a lot of accidents and getting hurt and getting in these like accidents and having to heal from all that and it it was essentially it was very clear to me that the last accident I got in a bike accident with a car hit me and it just like woke me up it was like you're not on your path 
Like you're not, and if you don't get on your path with the plants, because I still had my foot in one door, like working in the bar industry and waiting tables, and then I had a foot in the plant world, and it wasn't integrated. And spirit was just like, you have to choose, or you're gonna keep getting all these accidents because you're not doing your life's purpose. So I chose the plants, and I am so grateful because my life just went, it just like got in order. It was all spread out all over the place and it got in order, and that's when I quit my job, the service industry, and just like took this path of the plants. and. It's still a journey. Like, I'm still learning. I can learn the plants forever, like many lifetimes. But it's something that's so familiar to me. And coming to different countries like Peru and I was in Mexico and Guatemala, it's just there's always a core essence of how they use the plants for emotional healing and limpias. And they all have a common thread, how they use, like, certain plants for limpias. And... So that started when I was in Mexico and then I went to Guatemala and here and I'm just seeing like the same theme of it's not just you ingest a plant to heal the physical because our disease and ailments are like 50% emotional too. So, you know, the integrate the western medicine approach isn't integrated. So the emotional aspect isn't being looked at for people. It's just like, here's a Band-Aid, and if we don't, because the emotional aspect causes a lot of these diseases, so we have to work with both, right? And the plants can work with both, which is beautiful. It can work with the emotional and the physical, whereas just if you just do solely pharmaceuticals, it doesn't work on the emotional. So... I I work a lot with like plant spirit medicine. I'm not so much a botanist. I didn't go to school for botany. We learned that in my herb program, but it's not my strength. So if somebody wants me to take them on a botany walk, I, like I know the basics, but you know, I would refer somebody who's really studied botany. It just it's more the plant spirit um method that comes really easy to me and the constituents and then you know, I was just so hungry for so much more. And then I studied Ayurveda and I did a, I'm an Ayurvedic health counselor, which helps. That's basically using food and herbs, food as medicine and looking at the constitutions and how to keep them in balance. And I went to India and did a Panchakarma and just like, I usually go to the source, like, okay, I've studied Ayurveda. Now I want to go to the source and go to India and do healing work there and do a Panchakarma. And I learned a lot there and so I've integrated the Ayurveda with plants and looking at the um, energetics. Because like a, a plant that would work for you wouldn't necessarily work for me. Because I, I want to know like your body temp and the temperature of the plant and what you have, what your constitution is. So I've, and when I found Ayurveda, it just clicked. It was just like, I can integrate these. It makes more sense because the Western... Um, wisdom of plants has been lost in the western world you know it was all like burned and in europe the witch burnings and all that and like here in these cultures it's not it hasn't been lost it it's starting to get a little lost just as they get more westernized here um and then yeah i just keep studying like i'm upset <laughs> so like i'm never gonna stop learning it's just like this uh, for me, it's my creative, my creative passion. Like when I make medicine, so that's how my creative outlet. 
And that's how I create art through making medicine and offering that to people. And I've been selling it here. When I was in the U.S., I sold it. Sold the medicine. I worked in herbal apothecaries. I've worked for, like, acupuncturists. I've, I know a little about, like, Chinese medicine and the herbs, how they use those herbs. But traditionally, more my approach is more the Western herbs and, like, herbs here. Because I'm still learning the plants here. There's so many plants just in the valley, you know. So, um... And then when I went to Guatemala, I I was living in Guatemala before I came here, and I was working with the Mayan elders and doing like Mayan fire ceremonies. And they 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 approached me and they're like, "Can you help us? Can you help us like make our medicine, like preserve our medicine?" Because I was making agua fluida, but they use the agua fluida for the ceremonies there that have like a lot of chemicals in it, and so. They, I was at a Mayan ceremony and these like indigenous women, they were all midwives in the community and they approached me and they're like, can you come teach us? And I was just like, I just said yes. I was like, and then when I walked away, I was like, what? You said yes? Like, you don't even, like, they're going to, what? They want to, they want to learn from you. You're just like this Western girl and they have so much wisdom. But what I realized is like, I kept going them and I showed them how to make agua fluida and... Um, pomata, salve, pomata, with plants. And what I learned is that they didn't really know how to preserve their medicines for long term. They didn't really know how to like make tinctures, how to preserve the medicine. You know, they worked more with like the fresh plants right there in that moment. And that was a beautiful experience because I helped them get like labels and empower them to start making the medicine because they're all midwives. And and it was really interesting because, you know, they spoke the Mayan language and their, so their second language was Spanish. So it was just like they had so much wisdom. And I learned so much from them. Like they were teaching me what plants grew there and how they used the plants. And so just all these different um, hands-on experiences with people and indigenous cultures are really... I have learned so much about the plants, opposed to just being in a school setting, learning. It's such a tactile, um, tactile experience if you want to start working with the plants. And I always tell people that you don't need to know, you know, it can be overwhelming. You get an herb book, you're like, oh my gosh, I got to know all this. And if you just like pick five plants, I call out to you. You, those five plants can heal most things that you're, daily things that you're dealing with so you don't have to go to the hospital. Granted, some things you do have to go to the hospital. Western medicine is great for that. But um, five plants, you know, because I, I notice that people get really overwhelmed and they want to, like, know it all. And it's, like, just five plants that are speaking to you and you connect with them. Once they're your ally and you have a relationship, it's like building a relationship with a lover. Like you have to court each other and you have to get to know the plant. Once you get to know the plant, build a relationship, then it it could help you with an ailment that isn't in the textbooks. Like you could really use it for something that you wouldn't even be in the textbook because you have a relationship with that plant and you just are using it's your helper at that point and it takes time it's like building friendships you're not just like
going to be like, well, what are you good for? Because a lot of people are like, what's this plant good for? Like, oh. So I try and like steer away from that question because it's not about what it's good for because you want to approach a friend and be like, well, what are you good for? (laughs) How am I going to use you? You know, it's like we all have different gifts and talents that it takes a while to know those gifts in a person months maybe years so I always like recommend dietas which you know you work with and you because you're focusing on that one plant and the spirit of that plant so like you can do dietas with common weeds like dandelion or tulsi and um and I've had a lot of teachings from plants just um by ingesting them and getting really strong teachings of maybe where I've crossed a boundary or not given an offering when I've harvested it. And then I get a really strong teaching of that was disrespectful. And yeah, so um, I could just keep going on forever. I'm actually in, right now I'm in a um, postpartum, an Ayurvedic postpartum caregiver program. So like a doula, but it's Ayurvedic based. So the sacred window of, 42 days after a mama gives birth and it's really important for me right now this work because if the women if if we can't the women are trying to come in in their feminine power and we're trying to find this balance between the feminine and masculine in the world and if the mothers aren't taken care of after they give birth then we're not going to have a we're not going to have a well community a well collective it's those 42 days after birth, the sacred window that really shapes a mother's mental state, her physical body, and their roles in the community. And it's been lost, especially in the U.S. Like, here hasn't been lost so much because the family comes in and helps. So in the U.S. it's been really lost because the nuclear family just doesn't work. And so... I know that I'm supposed to be working with women in some way and try and empower women and really bring the herbal wisdom in the 42 days after birth and what the woman should be receiving on an Ayurvedic standpoint and the food and um, the nourishment of the baby and the mama so that we can have a really healthy collective and... This is something that just has been lost, especially in the U.S. And women go through like depression, postpartum depression. And it's really big in the Western world because they're just isolated in their house with no community. And I'm sure during the pandemic, this has risen where women have just felt so helpless after giving birth. And so I'm doing that program right now. And um because I already make postpartum steam, yoni steams. So for women to heal their, the tissues of their uterus and all that after birth. So I make these blends with plants and I also make blends with, for Olympias, like plant baths for people to do energetic plant baths. And in the U.S. I was making an herbal line for moms too. So it's kind of, and then I kind of put it aside and now it's resurfacing in this beautiful way. And so I'm really right now focusing on women's health and more support for women right now so that we can come into this balance where the masculine can really support the feminine and 
And we're moving more into a feminine world, the feminine energy. We're coming into the feminine energy, which is really beautiful in these times, the softness and the um, intuition and the, sh- the shift in the pace of our how we live our life. Um, and the plants are there to support us with that in all aspects. So... And I'm really was really surprised how many women don't know anything about postpartum. Like, oh, I never had any help after I gave birth. And then you ask them about their experience, and it was like really intense. So I'm in this beautiful program, and um, here it's here the indigenous people already have it implemented into their culture. Like the grandmothers come, and the whole family comes and takes care. And I've watched it, and it's beautiful. So I'm trying to see how I can implement it either here or in the U.S. or however, you know, um, working with plants because we want to, like, down-regulate our nervous systems. And so the nervous system is so crucial. Like, a, a lot of us live in a very heightened state of stress and scarcity and survival that just destroys your nervous system and there's so many plants that can help regulate that nervous system and so it's really crucial after birth that we get the nervous system like regulated because you have all those hormones that make the nervous system on edge because you like have this being that you're trying to help the child live it's like survival type of survival comes in so nourishing the nervous system and knowing what plants work with that um so yeah that's where I'm at right now with the plants just doing this program and helping women in this way um and children like I've done classes for children plant classes like teaching them how to make plants or like products like salves I I love giving children limpias plant limpias they're so responsive to it so I love working with children also because they're so receptive and they they can get really out of balance energetically because they're just like sponges so um just and these are like basic tools that if the mother or the father has this wisdom in the family, then you can be so empowered to heal what's going on energetically in the house and what's going on physically. And if we can become empowered in our health, then we won't, there's, we can heal a lot. We won't have to be running and relying on the Western model because. I don't think it's a good system to rely on. When you really need it, it's good. But to integrate, the integrative therapies. Um, Yeah, so that's where I am with the plants. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah. So maybe just kind of like from, from the beginning, there's... Um, this idea of plants as medicine, uh, like I'm sure many, if not most people listening to this, like, you know, have a pretty good idea of what you're speaking about. But I think even to a lot of people, that's kind of a foreign concept. So 
can you maybe like break down like like in your view or your world like what is medicine and, and how do plants relate to that mm-hmm. um, because it seems like throughout you know most of history and in, in most cultures you were using this word like indigenous traditions plants were really the basis of medicine mm-hmm. um, you know there, there's other things too you mentioned uh, you know, even like maybe traditional Chinese medicine, they're maybe working with acupressure, acupuncture, massage can be a, a big part of it. Um, but but really, you know, when we think of medicine, it, it was really plants that were given as medicine. So, mm-hmm. but I, I think for a lot of people, there's still a disconnect to that. There's, well, medicine is what you get in the pharmacy or the doctor gives it to you and it comes in a pill. Mm-hmm. Um so how would you like? How would you explain to someone maybe who just that's that's what they think, you know, and, and yeah. legitimately so? Because as you mentioned, like in a Western model, it is something that's given to you by the doctor. It usually comes in a pill form, and you mm-hmm. take that to treat something. And when most people look at plants, that doesn't necessarily look like medicine. It looks like a plant, which for a lot of people maybe they're pretty or. It, they think they give off oxygen or they're just kind mm-hmm. of growing there <laughs> for no reason. Yeah. So how yeah. does like how does like what's out there translate to, to medicine? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, how I look at it is we as a collective, as a society, we've become very disconnected from the earth, the earth element. We're very, you know, I'm gonna go into some Ayurvedic terms, like how we're advancing technology is we're getting faster and faster and faster is really bringing an imbalance to the vata dosha which in ayurveda vata is air and ether and so that makes you even more ungrounded it makes you lighter it makes you like spun out you know and so the earth element is really crucial to connect to the earth and that everything we need like our food grows in the earth but if we continue to destroy these forests to build more technology or huge cities, then we are going to lose a lot of these this medicine. Um, just like a lot of food is being lost, like seed saving is really crucial for Native Americans just to have that those indigenous seeds, or they'll get lost. But with the plants, they're there. Like if you look outside, there's even weeds. Uh, your simple weeds like dandelion and cleavers and um, nettle, these are weeds and they're so medicinal and they grow everywhere. They grow all over the world. And if we can just, people could just get to know those few plants, like people that are new to plants could get to know those few plants and they they have such potent medicine. Um, so my idea of medicine is, um, you know, you got to look at food too, the person's constitution food. You can't, it's, not necessarily just give them a plant and it's going to fix everything. you got to look at the bigger picture of what's going on in their life. But everything we need is out there, outside. Like, I've had moments where I've, in my life working with plants, like, the plant will appear in your yard that you really need. Like, you wouldn't even plant it. It just appears. Like, literally, one day you walk out and you're like, wow, that that's a new plant. And it's usually a plant that you need to be working with. If you notice it and it just appears, it has medicine for you. And it's just like daily maintenance of your health, 
opposed to just waiting till it gets so bad that you do have to rush to the doctor. Just daily maintenance of having herbal tea or certain herbs mixed together that are really going to bring you you strength or calm your nervous system or help with anxiety so that you don't have to be on a daily medication for anxiety because there are ways to work with anxiety for people. You can really get to the root of the problem through your emotional state, your diet, and plants, and then you're getting to the actual root of the problem. The root of the problem is where we want to get to, and plants do that. Where Western medicine, if we're taking a lot of drugs, we're going to the doctor and getting pharmaceuticals, it's just putting a Band-Aid over a Band-Aid over a Band-Aid, and it doesn't go deep to the root, and it actually causes more imbalances because a lot of those drugs have side effects that bring your constitution even more out of balance. And then you have to go even deeper to heal the root of the problem. And granted, there's a time and place for medication. I'm not anti-Western medicine. I really believe in integration, and that hasn't, it's not happening. Where, like, say you go to the doctor and they're like, you know, I was in, an example would be I was in um, Hungary. I was traveling there, and they, part of their medical system, if you go to the doctor and you're having pain or certain, if you're having certain ailments, the doctor will give you a prescription to go to the thermal pools because in Hungary there's thermal pools because it's all thermal, hot thermal water under that city. And they have baths everywhere, these hot springs all throughout the city. And they give the person a prescription to go there for a certain amount of time and they get to get in free and they have a special wristband and they have a prescription of how they're going to work with the water to help heal whatever ailment. So that's like an integrative approach, right? He's not just like, here, take this medication for your pain. He's working, they're working with the water element to the warm water. And that also can bring spiritual healing too when you're working with the water. So, you know, I don't look as med like plants just as medicine. There's so many other things that could be medicine, like connecting to the uh, nature through walking or hiking or different ceremonies. Um, but for someone who's just starting out, I recommend they connect with a few plants on a spiritual level and start ingesting them, sleeping with them under their pillow. Um, like there's certain plants like mugwort that are dream plants to help you dream, to help you connect with your dreams. And so many messages are in our dreams. And mugwort is so strong. You know, you can hang a bundle above your bed and you're going to start having really profound, pathetic dreams. Like when people come to me and say they don't remember their dreams, this was this is something I would tell them to do. Like get mugwort, hang it above your bed, start journaling. This is a form of medicine. You're using the plant mugwort and you don't have to ingest it. You're just hanging it above your bed and it could help someone with their sleep. You know, there's certain things that you could, maybe they have insomnia, it could help them sleep better. Um, so there's the plants are so amazing because there's so many different ways you can work with them. And with the Western world, where I would get so annoyed when I would go to like a doctor when I was younger like in my 20s I would go to a doctor because I was having some stuff and going on and they they wouldn't even like ask you what's going on in your life what are you eating 
like that's the first question. You know, if you go to an acupuncturist, you could do a full intake. What what's color your tongue? What are you eating? What are your stools like? What's your stress? How, are you happy in your life? You know, like when I went to India, the I the Ayurvedic doctors in India have they have to become doctors, so they go through a whole training. They have to know how to read Sanskrit, the ancient Ayurvedic texts. Ayurveda medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, Chinese medicine are the oldest medicines, ancient texts that have not been lost. And I went there and did a consultation with them and I lived there for a month. And he would he would always come in every day and do an intake for me, a consultation, because every day your things shift and you're, you know, maybe Yesterday, I needed ginger, but today I don't because I'm feeling hot. So maybe I need something a little cooling. So it's good to know like every day what plant you need is going to shift. And the one thing he said to me was like, he said, he looked at me and he's like, are you happy in your work? And I was just like, oh gosh, I've never had, I've never had like a doctor ask me that. And I was just like, no, I'm so miserable. <laughs> like because oh, I was doing some work I wasn't that happy with. I wasn't, like, quite on my path. And, but he, you know, they when they take your pulse in Ayurvedic medicine, they, they can feel the pulse of your parents because it's reading your heart, and they can tell what constitution your parents were through your pulse. And when someone takes your pulse, it's like they're directly connecting with your spirit. And so a lot of these ancient medicines this is medicine taking someone's pulse and reading it in a different way than how a western doctor would read it and missing a lot because there's so much in the pulse that in the western world it's they it's not they they weren't trained they're not trained on that level of depth of what is hidden in your pulse that you can really tell the I mean, he could tell the imbalances I had from my mother's imbalances and how they had, like, come to me on an emotional level. So that's, like, that's potent medicine. That's profound healing for someone. Uh, Instead of just giving them a pharmaceutical and then they get... um, they, they have a symptom from that pharmaceutical and then they have to go back and get another pharmaceutical for that symptom. And it's like digging a hole. It's like digging a deeper hole. Um, but I do believe people that do have to be on medication for maybe they have severe depression or thyroid or some stuff, they can integrate it with natural ways and then it can balance. Uh, what I learned in India was when people have been on thyroid medicine their whole life, it stops their thyroid. Their thyroid becomes lazy and doesn't remember how to work. So then it's too late. So if someone came to them with a thyroid issue and they've been on medication for most of their life, it's they have to stay on the medication because it's put their thyroid to sleep. But they can do other herbs to balance the effect of the medication and to strengthen their thyroid. Um, so I, I learned a lot when I was there with how medicine pharmaceuticals can really put an organ to sleep and make it go dormant. And that's pretty intense if that happens. And 
the whole point of it is like catching these diseases early on and then approaching it from a very holistic way, trying to approach it from a holistic way. And then if, if pharmaceuticals are needed, then they're needed. I, you know, everyone's case is different. I don't want to sit here and be like, don't go use pharmaceuticals because I've had to use antibiotics before and certain stuff. So, um, and the same with like chemo, how they look at it in India with chemotherapy is if you are, if you go there and do a panchakarma, which a panchakarma is this whole healing modality in Ayurveda that's usually a month long or longer, depending what people are working with. It's an Ayurvedic hospital. So it's not like your traditional hospital. It's a center that's incorporating the fire ceremonies, the mantras every morning, yoga nidra, certain types of food. So it's not like your typical hospital with like white walls and very cold. It's like a place for spiritual healing too, which if you can do the spiritual healing, then a lot of times the disease can um, won't stay as long. But when you've had chemo already and then they go and do a punch karma, it's harder because the chemo changes your the structure of your DNA and your cells. So then they won't they won't recognize the plants because the chemo's already shifted everything. So then if you start taking plants, the plants won't be as effective because it's shifted your cellular structure. So just little things like this, you know, and granted, people that have uh, cancer, chemo may be the best route for that person. It really depends on your constitution. Some people could handle chemo and some people wouldn't really be able to handle it that well, depending on your constitution. So I don't want to sit here like I'm supportive of chemo. If that person trusts chemo and really believes in it, then it's going to work. But there's ways to integrate it, like how maybe you could try the plants first and then do chemo and, you know, play around with it. And instead of just doing solely like just the chemo path. And so this is how I look at medicine is incorporating all the modalities and not just using one modality that is very much funded by money. Like the Western, the pharmaceutical method is, there's a lot of money in it. And, um, but I feel it can shift, even if we shifted our hospitals, like when you go into a hospital, like how does it feel to you energetically? Well, if that person's feeling that coldness energetically in a hospital, they're going to take twice as long to heal if they're sitting in a hospital. They'd be better off in their home trying to heal. So I know in certain countries they do, there's more integration. And I think it's coming. It's just slowly but surely. And I don't know if that's my work. Because <laughs> I've been like, is that my work to try and integrate? Because we all have our path, right? Like, I don't know if that's my work. But I know that I have wisdom to offer for the bigger picture of how to integrate. Um, so, yeah, that's, the plants are medicine. All of the plants contain some type of medicine, but there are plants that are poisonous too that you don't want to ingest that will really kill you. I mean, there aren't that many, but, and 
any plant in the wrong dose for that person's constitution can be poison. So plants can act as a poison too. Um, so it's good to not just go out and start eating all these plants you don't know because we don't want you to like, there are some poisonous plants out there. Um, that would not be good. <laughs> just like mushrooms, right? Poisonous mushrooms. And you can, you got to have some sort of background of the mushrooms. Um, one thing that I helped me with the plants was about four or five years ago, I started doing like elemental spirituality for me. And so I started bringing all the elements, because we all have all the four elements within inside of us, the five elements, and to connect to all those elements. Because a lot of us have a few elements that we need to do healing around, like maybe the water element or the earth element, and really connect with that element and do healing work with it so that they can all come into balance within your body, like the fire, the earth, the water, the air, and the ether. Um, so I started doing going to certain places to heal these elements within me, like to connect with the, the water element. To like, I used to have, the fire element was really hard for me to really feel comfortable with that fire element. And so I had to start doing a lot of Mayan fire ceremonies and Agni Hotra to really not have a fear of this fire and balancing it within me because I was super disconnected from my fire element. And our fires are like creativity, our passion, our love, our like desire to live. And so, so for me, that was the healing I did with all five elements and it was profound and then I worked with certain plants to help and so really working with the elements within our body because the plants contain all those elements too and and so we have some of us have stronger elements inside of us and weaker elements and we need to learn how to balance those within of within our own body and if we can learn that then you can be your own healer you can be your own healer of, oh, I'm okay, I'm imbalanced today. I feel, I'm feeling really like too much heat in my body. What can I do to balance that? And then you can look for a plant and use that plant to help balance it. So that was a really long answer. Did I answer it to, yeah, to yeah. a degree? <laughs> You used this word um, plant spirit early on. So how would you differentiate that? Because you said you work more with the plant spirit. So, for example, you mentioned um, dandelion and nettle as like two really common medicinal plants. You can find them growing all over the world. They're, mm -hmm. they're weeds. So how would you, just using those two plants as an example, how would you use those in a in a medicinal way like that? it has certain properties that you could potentially give to someone to heal certain mm -hmm. conditions. Um, so that on the one hand, and then how would you look at that from a, with the word you described, like plant spirit? Plant spirit, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so dandelion is a weed that grows everywhere, and it's a bitter. It's a really strong bitter. So usually, depending where you are in the world, like if you have four seasons and it starts coming up, after winter, so in the spring. Um, so when you're in winter and you're eating tons of heavy foods, 
your system's getting really, um, like the liver's getting really taxed because you're, you're trying to stay warm. So you're eating more fats and oils. So dandelion will appear. And so that we want to start eating the leaves or the flowers. You can make a salad. We want to start eating those strong bitters during that time because it's going to start cleansing the bile out of your liver. And it's a digestive bitter. So it helps, it helps, um, digest your food. So you could take it you could take a tincture or do a tea like 10 minutes before you eat because it stimulates your gastric juices. And so during the winter, a lot of times we get a lot of like heat accumulation and then we'll get a cold after winter because we have all that heat inside of us and we haven't been moving our bodies like in the summer where you're very active and it's hot. So you're sweating a lot. So those strong bitters help cleanse those toxins maybe that haven't been moving through your body during the winter that went dormant and it's a and then it acts as a bitter to help stimulate your digestion and it's cooling so person that's why you don't see dandelion really in the in the winter where it's snowing and it's really cold because you wouldn't want to be taking dandelion in the winter it's going to make you cold it's going to dry you out and you're going to be like so cold. (laughs) So it's good to know that dandelion's really cooling. And so medicinally, that's what dandelion's used for on like a bitter work on the liver. And then nettles, ortiga, um, ortiga, which is what they call it here, the Spanish name, ortica dioca is this Latin name and in the U.S., but it is, nettles is amazing because they actually used to use it, so nettles is a weed, and I'm sure every, most people know it, it stings you, so when you see it, it grows in the wild and it stings you, and they used to use it on people that were paralyzed. They would cut the plant and then make a bundle and hit them with it, and it would bring circulation. So it it moves your circulation, it brings circulation. So if you have pain on your body, you could go harvest some nettle and hit that area until it gets red, and it's gonna help with the pain and circulate the energy. It's also a really cooling plant also, and it's really drying. So if you're already run really cold and you're really dry, then you wanna mix it with a demulcent, a plant that's moistening. So like licorice or marshmallow. and then it would balance the energetics. And nettles, they make like pesto out of nettle. You can eat, you can eat the leaves, you just have to boil them so that they get the stinger out. And then it works on the liver too. So it comes out around spring also. It starts coming, growing, like after winter it starts appearing and then you want to go harvest it. And it helps with the liver, it helps with anemia like blood deficiency in women or um, anemia is like when you have a deficiency in blood and you just feel really tired and fatigued and no energy. A lot of women struggle with anemia because of their moon cycles or just malnutrition. So nettles is great for building that blood and it's so high in minerals. It has so many minerals and salts in it so you can get all those minerals and so that maybe you don't have to take a mineral supplement you could just take nettles or you could powder you can dry nettles and make a powder and mix it with seaweed 
So it's like a seaweed nettle powder that you sprinkle on your food and then you're getting uh, lots of minerals and electrolytes that way. So on a spiritual level, um, dandelion is... I always look at it as like, you know, because it works on the liver. So we hold a lot of anger in our liver. So someone that's really has a lot of anger coming up for them and they don't know how to really work through it. Dandelion can help with that. Even the flower essence, a dandelion. Um, other way, because, you know, you think of bitters, it's like... Uh, if somebody's needing a lot of bitters, there's this liver stagnation. If there's a liver stagnation, then anger gets stuck in the liver. And then for women, every time they have their moon cycle, we have to filter our hormones through our liver. So a lot of times some women will get really angry before their cycle or like because it's it's like triggering this liver stagnation. That's why we want to keep our liver really clean and filtering properly. And for nettles, uh, as, on a spiritual level, I look at it as, like, boundaries for me, for, like, and poison oak, too, is for boundaries. Like, if you're someone who really struggles with setting boundaries in your life with, with your schedule, your work, boundaries for yourself, like self-care, um, nettles really helps with that. So you could... When I have people work with it on a spiritual level, they either put it under their pillow and see what dreams come, or they sit and meditate with the plant, or you can ingest it. Because if you ingest it, it's working on a spiritual level too. But I honestly, it really depends on the person when you look at it on a spiritual level, because the plants are dynamic. So it's like any other power plant you use, like ayahuasca or San Pedro, it's going to be different for everyone of what shadow or what healing they need. And that plant is going to work on that spiritual level. It's not going to only work on one spiritual level. So a lot of the other common plants work in the same way. Like if you sit with it, I always tell people to sit and meditate. And if a color comes up for you meditating or what feeling do you have when you're meditating with that plant? then you can journal and that plant could help you in those ways on a spiritual level. So it's very dynamic, but those are a few of the spiritual uses that I use it for. Like, like tobacco flower essence is really powerful. Like flower essences are really powerful to work for, work with on an emotional level because you're ingesting, you're actually ingesting just the spirit of the plant. And so like tobacco flower essence is really amazing because it it really works with if there's father wounding for and for men or women if there's father wounding from your father that little child father wounding that you need to work with boundaries um you finding yourself in these relationships with men that just are not healthy or vice versa if you're a man in a relationship with a woman or same sex because at all you know if you had a mom and a dad growing up or a mom and a mom and a dad dad you're gonna have there's gonna be some little child wounding that needs to be tended to we all have it, it could be little things you know 
it just depends how strong and affected your spirit. So tobacco is really, um, flower essence is amazing for if you're wanting to work with healing the masculine within you or how you relate to the masculine or if you had a father that wasn't present in your life, then it's going to play out in your relationships. Even if you're in the same sex relationship, it still plays out because we still have those masculine feminine qualities within us so yeah so their plants have are so dynamic so with nettle and dandelion it also depends on the person because that plant will come up show up for that person to heal work with with a spiritual imbalance that maybe it wouldn't come up for me um so it's really powerful like i've seen people have different effects on plants that I necessarily haven't had that spiritual effect and that's the amazing thing so they're very similar like to the power plants they they really go into that person the spirit essence of that plant really can tune in to what your spirit needs at that time and also with a lot of plants and flower essences if you're taking them there can be a spiritual crisis and if you're trying to function in the world and go to work and you're just like having these breakdowns, like crying, it's good. You're having a spiritual awakening, but it's also good to know if you're having a spiritual crisis that you need to actually take like three days off or like take a few days off and maybe lower your dose and then um, resume. And it's really interesting when I work with flower essences, which basically flower essences are the flower of the plant that you put in water and you put it outside in the sun and the sun infuses the spirit of that plant into the water and then you preserve it with a little alcohol and you take it three times a day at around the same times, like morning, afternoon, at night so your body can really get used to the spirit. And what I've learned is your body will just, you'll start forgetting to take it. And when you start forgetting, you've, you've, gotten over that chapter it just your body will tell you when you don't need that plant anymore same with any other teas that you drink if you're just like oh i'm not feeling it your body tells you when you're like you don't need that plant anymore it's time to move on to maybe a different plant so it's really yeah it's a really dynamic question because it really depends on the person how it's going to affect them spiritually and what they have going on and if I did a consultation with someone, I would really, a lot of times a plant will just come to me in the back of my head while I'm talking with that person of what spirit I think that person needs because each plant has a personality too. So once you get to know the personality of the plant, then you can be like, oh, I think this person should work with Rose, you know, because Rose is like, Rose is boundaries too and opening your heart and softness and grace and... I've had a lot that come up for me before working with people where I just wanted to like give them rose to work with. And it, and it's just one plant, you know, working with one plant is nice because you really get to know that one plant. Um, so I always recommend if you're working with a plant on a spiritual level that you work with just one, then you can really get to know the essence and spirit. But if we're working on like physical imbalance, then we want to mix different plants to bring all these different healing modalities in. So, yeah, one plant for the spiritual healing. 
So would you say, so for example, with, with, with dandelion, uh, like when you're mentioning this idea of, of plant spirit work, that, that that's just encompassing like the non-physical. So, you know, most people, because even now I think herbalism is maybe becoming more common. Like people go to Whole Foods Mm -hmm. and they're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, struggling with this and I heard dandelion was really good for, mm-hmm. for cleaning my blood or something yeah. or, um, but that that's only one part of it that, that every plant it's operating because you also mentioned this idea of, of the emotions um, and then this idea of the spirit so that mm-hmm. there's just all of these plants have you know these two or these three components in which they're working on and the physical just being one that, mm-hmm. that those other ways kind of as you're pointing to in the beginning are also very important but often overlooked it is overlooked and but i feel that once people start implementing plants in their life things start shifting in their consciousness slowly like it could even be a simple thing where like maybe they're like want to go be out in nature more where maybe in the past they never wanted to that's a shit that's that's a shift in consciousness in a very subtle way because it's working on the subtle body and i feel they empower people because if they start seeing results from the plants it empowers them to want to take their health in their own hands and that there are other ways to deal with imbalances and you know not everyone's going to be interested in like going and meditating with the plant. You know, you have to work with what people, what their comfort level is. You know, if their comfort level is like, you know, I think I'm just okay with drinking the tea. They're going to have a subtle shift because you're ingesting a spirit. Like the plant has a spirit and it also starts maybe, you know, dandelion starts clearing out their liver and their digestion gets better and they're feeling more like they have an appetite, that's going to naturally make them feel more confident in the world and want to be out in the world and um, more energy maybe because their liver isn't as sluggish or there isn't that stagnation. That's naturally going to shift some consciousness, right? That's naturally going to shift a perspective in that person that, wow, I'm feeling like, I don't feel like I'm having to sleep as much, or I'm feeling like, I'm feeling like an appetite. I want to eat good food, you know? And, um, this can be a type of healing, like a happy accident type of healing, you know, like maybe they are taking the plant thinking it would heal what their main concern was. And it doesn't, it like heals something different. You know, it heals something completely different. And, yeah, like I've had those experiences with plants, like this plant, black cohosh in the U.S. I was using it to heal a certain ailment, something I was working with in my health. I was like, oh, this is the plant because it says it's good for this. You know, I was like at the beginning of my herb stages and and I was like, okay, I'm going to work with it. And I was working with it and it wasn't even hitting wasn't even like getting to that part of my body but it started working on me in an emotional spiritual way where I found out it started it was working with like 
neck issues, like whiplash type stuff. And I'd had a lot of like whiplash from accidents. And then I start and I would have like neck pain. And then all of a sudden I noticed that I was having less tension in my neck and that the plant was actually working on my neck. And so it was like a happy accident because that wasn't my intention of going in with the plant. And I was like, I want you to heal something else. But, but then I was like, oh, that's so awesome. Like, and then I started reading more about this plant and the spiritual, spiritual essence of the plant and how it, it works with like throat chakra and neck and on a spiritual level. And that's where it went in my body. So it's very, the plants work in very mysterious ways. It's still very profound because, it, you know, they just scan your body. They scan your body and just know like where they need to go in your body at that time in your life. And so I've had experiences like that and it's not so cut and dry, right? It's not so like, well, here's this plant that's going to heal this. Well, it might actually just start healing something else. And then it's like, oh, oh, yeah, I did have that issue, too. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I have this imbalance. And then it it kind of opens like a Pandora's box of stuff that maybe you weren't tuned in to in your body. And I feel they really just help you tune in to getting to know your body. And that's the first step is tuning in to knowing your body and knowing that that's real and that there isn't any outside source or doctor that can tell you that you don't know what you're talking about because you live in this body every day and you know certain foods that aren't going to do well with you or you know but I feel like in I feel like a lot of times we can give our power away if we're not so trusting in the plants And the whole point is to hold our power and trust the plants. And if you have trust in the plants, they can bring profound healing in so many ways. Just simple culinary. You could have your culinary herbs that you use for cooking and you can heal a lot. You know, if you have stomach upset or parasites, like you can heal a lot with just culinary herbs. So, I mean... People don't, we don't have to have a whole apothecary and be, you could have five herbs that you work with. And so, yeah, that, I think I answered quite a bit of that. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to lower this so yeah, the, yeah. the computer doesn't open. You're getting the... Um, you, you mentioned this idea of, of the elements. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said four and also five. Well, um, in Ayurveda, there's five. Mm-hmm. In the Western, it's like four. Because we have ether mm-hmm. in Ayurveda, which is like space, cosmic energy, and then air is like more the wind. And Yeah. Yeah, could you maybe talk about those and, yeah. and, and how you work with those? And then also, you mentioned this idea, which some people may be familiar with, but but probably a lot not, that you use the example of like the liver and anger. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe talking more about that, like how these organs, how you see them or how they relate to certain emotions and mm-hmm. why, why that's important in, in the work of, a, of an herbalist or, or someone who works with plants. Yeah, it's very important. So with the elements, so in Ayurveda, there's five elements. And in Chinese, in Chinese um, medicine, they have different elements. They have like metal and wood. And then 
the Western world, we have, we pretty much focus on our four elements. Um, but in Ayurveda, with the three doshas, they each have two elements associated with those doshas. So it's pertaining to the elements within us. So, for instance, like vata is air and ether element. So the, the vata dosha, you would have more of that in your body if you're more of a vata person. The pitta is fire and water, and then kapha is earth and water. So kapha is very, they're very earth-based people. Um, and you can also notice like the constitution of people in different cultures. And like in Peru, I'm like, oh, they're very kaphic people. They're very like earth, water. They don't get so like um, thrown off center. They're very like just like calm. And so this has been an observation of mine going traveling and just seeing the different elements play out, seeing where people were born and what constitution does really well in certain environments so for living here for me personally how I've worked with the elements is this very air and ether here um and it's funny because I thought I came here to work with my earth element but it ended up being connecting with my air and ether elements, keep it in balance so that I can stay grounded here at such high altitude for my constitution. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm not really working with the earth element. I'm trying to strengthen my air and ether. So if we have like some sort of uh, layout of our elements or a constitution and we know that within ourselves, then we can know what we need to do to keep those in balance because there's certain places you will live, the altitude, if it's really windy somewhere that are going to really, if it's really cold somewhere and you're already a cold person, then it's really good to know how to work with those elements because they will throw you off balance. So it's really like the food, our food has energetics, our, the plants have elements like the flower is the fire, you know, the stem is the water. And so if, if I'm mostly air and ether element and some, I have some fire, then I need to tend to those elements within me. So I need to make sure I'm like keeping my head covered if it's really windy because if I'm just like out there exposed, if it's really windy, I'm going to get sick. I'm going to get weak because I know my constitution. Um where people that are born here in these high elements, they've adapted and they're also very strong, like Kafic people. It's it's like I don't go up to the mountains and see these like really like weak, frail people living at like fifteen thousand feet. Like there's a reason why they're like you know, they have they they embody the certain element. And so the elements are really in that way, really crucial. And then what was the second part of the question you asked about? The, the organs. The, the organs. Emotions. So a lot of, so a lot of our, all of our organs hold certain emotions. And so for instance, you know, the liver holds anger and we want to really, somebody that has holds a lot of anger, there could be a liver stagnation 
or so we want to maybe look at the food they're eating or their lifestyle but the heart and the lung the lungs is grief and it's really interesting with what's going on in the world right now is how I looked at it I don't want to go too far off topic with that but it's affecting the lungs right it's attacking the lungs and a collective the whole world it's like going to the lungs and the lungs is grief unresolved grief unresolved emotions uh we have a lot to grieve about especially now I mean we're grieving the whole world has shifted our lives have changed a lot of people have had to change everything in their life there's grief you know anytime something dies in your life a job or a relationship an animal we have to grieve it and if we don't it lives in our lungs and we start getting sick in our lungs. Our lungs get weak, we, and then illnesses will penetrate easier. And so this is where the emotion, the emotion associated with the lungs is grief. And if we can really allow ourselves to grieve and feel those emotions, then that's a way of tending to the health of our physical lungs so that we won't be attacked. We won't be in a weakened state of, sadness and grief that live in our lungs and so that's a really how I've looked at this whole um imbalance that's happening right now and grieve the lungs of the earth and grieving there's so much grief like grieving Pachamama grieving like how a lot of us a lot of the nature is being taken over and we're losing our medicines and we're losing our um way in the world and there's we have to grieve that there's a grief there um and so yeah so like looking at the organs and what uh emotional spiritual element lives within those uh, organs um, yeah you know the kidneys are the water the adrenals live above the kidneys and your nervous system shot your adrenals are going to be you know shot and your water element's going to be really out of balance in your system if you're having kidney and adrenal issues in which stress takes all that it just leeches. It wants to, because when you're in that heightened state of stress or nervous system, you're like accessing all these minerals and then leeching them, and then you're just becoming really depleted. So it's the bigger picture. It's not just, it's like we can't just take a plant and heal. We have to also look at our lifestyle and live our life in accordance with how we want our health to be. And granted, like, yeah, I'm going to go eat some pie and some, you know, I'm going to go eat food that isn't the best for me. But if I do it every day, then I'm going to get really out of balance. So it's just knowing the moderation and, and being in tune with our organ systems and how they're affected. Like if we have liver stagnation and we're having, um, liver pain or anything then a woman on her moon cycle is going to have a harder a harder moon cycle like she's going to have a lot of anger she's going to maybe have 
cramps. She's going to like have, and women shouldn't have any menstrual imbalances. It's not normal. It's, it's that our culture thinks it's normal for women to be PMSing and be really bitchy on their cycle. That's not normal. It's, it's like that now because we're so out of balance and we're, and women aren't taking those four days to go into the red tent and like you're cleansing, you know? So if the woman has like some liver imbalances, then it's going to affect her cycle and how she feels during her moon cycle. So yeah, and then the anger lives there and then it's going to come out when you're in this like sensitive, intuitive, open state of bleeding. You're going to have this like rage of anger coming out because it's just like, ah. so yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, could, could I give maybe like a, a, a few examples of common ailments and, and just have you talk about how you would look at that or yeah. maybe potentially treat that? So yeah. um, one that we brought up was like anxiety. It mm-hmm. seems to be a very common one. Anxiety, maybe even depression, those often seem to go kind of hand in hand. So how would you, you know, and obviously this is very general, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of removing the person and it's yeah. just kind of a fictitious person and not looking at their life, the, and... their life and everything. But, but kind of as a general, maybe archetype, what, how would you look at that? And, and what would you, you know, are there certain plants that you would maybe recommend or like, what would, what would you start to look at, uh, if someone is coming to you with, with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, I'll just give a brief overview because, you know, it depends on everyone's situation. But anxiety can, it can be really intense for some people. It can just, like, debilitate their whole life in some way. But a lot of times in Ayurveda, vata imbalance causes anxiety. So when there's too much movement in your life or stress um, then it can bring that imbalance even more and you can have severe anxiety and it can bring it out and then there's you know we would look at diet and all that but for plants that really help with anxiety I love like kava kava um, tulsi tulsi is amazing Nervines, like you want to work with like plants that work on the nervous system because essentially if it's a nerve the nervous system anxiety like play they interact with each other and so passion flower which you can get you could get even chamomile can help some people and you can get that here um trying to think of plants here i mean i guess it doesn't matter right because it's being aired all over so um I also incorporating breathing throughout the day and meditation and it really helps. But those are my top four plants. Tulsi is like amazing for anxiety, but also looking at what's the root cause of the anxiety. Because a lot of times it's an emotional, but it's also an imbalance in the constitution because vata is like if you get super ungrounded and you're like spun out all over the place, you're running around and you're the air and ether is just like running your life and you start getting anxious and, and it's 
it's that air and ether element that needs to, um, because Vata controls movement. So too much movement for air and ether type people is going to start causing depression and anxiety when, when the dosha starts going out of its home, like it's imbalanced when it starts going out of the, the, um, the home, like essentially it has a home and that that's going way more in depth. But I, you know, you want to do like, make sure the person is grounding, like eating grounding food and making, managing their life better and seeing what's really causing them to get in a state of anxiety, what's triggering it. Then once we can see that, then we can see what plants would be the best. But if you're just generally like if, you know, if someone has debilitating anxiety, we want to go really deep. But if you just have general anxiety, like, oh, today I feel like, like, okay, a few days ago, I felt anxious. I was like, oh man, I feel anxiety. And I've struggled with anxiety and I've had to do a lot, but I was like, oh, I feel anxious. You know, once I'm aware of it, then I'm like, okay, I'm going to drink some Tulsi. I'm going to drink some Kava Kava or some passion flower, chamomile, any plant that lemon balm, which Tarone Heal, you can get that in the market here. It helps calm you. It calms your nervous system, which, which helps with anxiety when you're in that state of anxiety. Um, what would you consider grounding foods? Grounding foods would be anything that's warming. So you don't want to, raw foods would be, would make your anxiety worse because it's cold and it's hard to digest and it's going to make you ungrounded. So warrant any kind of root vegetables, earth. So think of the vegetables that have the earth element, any vegetable that's a root, a root vegetable like parsnip, carrot, turnips, beets that you harvest and it comes out of the earth, they have the earth element. So anything that you're ingesting that has the earth element is grounding. So if you're eating a lot of lettuce, it's just going to make your anxiety worse. So we want to bring warmth to the person. We want to bring um, maybe hot water bottle, blankets, warm food like soups, rice, anything that has is sweet in nature. So not like sugar, but sweet potatoes have a sweet quality. They, because we want to get all those six tastes too, like, typically every day we would like to do that so that when you get the sweet taste that's grounding so like grains or sweet and taste sweet in nature um wheat like glue if you eat um flour like heirloom flour like bread is grounding it's sweet in nature potatoes um so yeah just really bringing warmth and grounding to the person that has really bad anxiety if we're just giving them salads and they're not staying warm, then they're going to be even more anxious because it's like the nervous system is going to be really tense and like frayed. And sometimes you can feel it if you're really tuned in. If you if people start tuning in their body, you can feel that nervous system. It's like it feels like a like it's on fire, like it's frayed, like your nervous system just feels like like it's like frayed, like a wire that's frayed at the end and you can start feeling that and then we we know that we want to work with the nervous system but it's really interesting because the cities how we're moving our pace of life is getting faster 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 and technology so we live in a very vata inducing world and we're all on the computer all the time 
So anytime there's a lot of movement and screens, it's vata inducing. Where like 20 years ago, there weren't so many vata imbalances. And now we just treat everyone like your vata is imbalanced. And we have all three doshas in us. We have vata, we have pitta and kapha, but you have the two primary that you were born with. So you want to always be at your birth constitution. So if you're away from your birth constitution, we want to bring you back to that. So when you get out of balance, it's because you're out of your birth constitution. And and there's not one that's better than the other. They're all amazing. They're not, it's not like, oh, vata is horrible. You know, like you don't want to like be dogging one. Like they're all, we need them all, but it's when they get out of balance, we have to know. But now we just... Like what I learned in my Ayurveda training is we have now the world we live in, we just always have to treat Vata first. Um, so Vata is like an anxiety inducing um, dosha. That's one of the symptoms of Vata. Like where Pitta is fire. So that's anger. A lot of people that maybe struggle with anger, you, I could maybe look at them and be like, oh, they're really extreme Pitta. So we need to like calm, bring the pizza back in the balance. So there's the doshas have certain qualities that are positive and negative. You know, once they're in balance, once vata's in balance and the anxiety, it's in. They're very intuitive. They're very tuned in. They're very dreamy. Can really like create beautiful artwork you know, they can speak clearly, but when it's out of balance, it's the anxiety, the depression, the coldness, it all just starts taking over. And then you don't, those positive qualities don't come out. So with depression, depression's a tricky one with plants because there's different types of depression. And we really have to look at food, of course, and the cerebral, the oils, if they're eating enough oils, like fats for your brain, for the cerebral health, um, and what's going on in their life. But it can be a tricky one to heal just solely with plants. Because, we again, you have to bring the body back into balance and look at the whole picture. But, you know, a lot of times cacao is used for depression because it has it's so high in, like, oxytocin. It has that good, like our heart opening and it helps with um the levels in your brain but some people actually that have severe depression like suicidal depression there there's like a there's an imbalance in the brain so some people do need drugs if it's like their life is in danger you know or they're wanting to kill themselves because there's so i mean i'm sure you've seen this with people there's so many different levels of depression and the depression where it's like they want to commit suicide, that it's like sometimes you actually have to approach it from a pharmaceutical approach first and then start slowly weaning them off the drugs or work with really strong plants like ayahuasca and all that to really go in there and repattern the whole wiring, which needs to be done. Um, but if we're not getting enough oils or enough fats for our brain, then it can cause depression. If you, yeah, just like a lot of things can cause depression, right? Like life. <laughs> but it really, you know, if someone just has, and it depends on your constitution too, how depression plays out. But 
if someone's just like depressed for two days and then it passes, you know, some people experience depression where they're not in their bed the whole time. They're depressed, but they're out in the world doing things. So it's a different, but if you're depressed and you can't get out of bed, then that's a whole different level. Um, but it's what you have to, with depression, we can't just work with plants. We have to work it like with all levels of spiritual healing and, um, but there are certain plants, you know, that can bring like rose, cacao, but also, you know, you don't want to be drinking cacao every day because any, that could be really hard on your liver. Like any, any plant or any food that you take every day could bring you out of balance. So you really got to know, but rose is really good. Like rose tea, rose, um, but doing a dieta with rose. I mean, I know a lot of people that have worked with ayahuasca for depression or addictions. And a lot of times if there's depression, there can be addiction. So, yeah, we really have to look at the bigger picture of, <laughs> of it. Yeah. It's, that's one thing that is... It's not hard to heal. It's just a more complex situation that depends on the person and how it's playing out mm-hmm. yeah great yeah i think another really common one that, that i notice a lot is uh, digestive issues mm-hmm. um, seems to be something that's you know also as you mentioned like anxiety really seems to be increasing um also a lot of people seem to be experiencing digestive issues now mm-hmm. um pain uh could be constipation or the opposite, loose stool, mm-hmm. um, but just like this general feeling of something's off, something's not well. Yeah, yeah, it's, so I did my yoga and Ayurvedic training in Hawaii, and it was really interesting, because I've always, I've struggled with digestion stuff too, and it healed my digestion, but I had to go through that whole training, and do different herbs and triphala. Triphala is this um, herb that they use. It's a powder usually, and it's like three fruits from in India, and that helps with digestion and ama. So it digestion can... Okay, so we have to look at food, right? But what I learned at my yoga training, we had to, we had to sit, and when we sat and ate, we didn't... We were told, like, you don't talk much. And it was very like new to me because I would always be like talking when I'm eating. But then I realized when I was talking so much when I was eating, I wasn't chewing my food. And so the first thing we just have people start doing, don't even like work with the plant first, is just try and eat in a calm environment, sit down and eat, don't eat standing up. Um and not don't talk a lot and make sure you're chewing your food until it's actual like mush in your food and some it depends on the person but sometimes it's like 20 20 bites and you have to count it you know you count to 20 and then it's like your food is you've gotten your food to actual consistency where it's like soupy and then you can swallow it so a lot of times what happens is that we're just swallowing our food and not chewing it and then it can't digest, and then it turns into ama, which ama is undigested food. And then those tox undigested food turns into toxins that wreak havoc. They get in your cells, and and then you start experiencing bloating. 
You know, that's the first complaint. I hear a lot of people like bloating because you're not digesting your food or you're eating food that's not in the right combination. Like there's certain foods like like fruit you should just eat alone. You know, if someone's struggling with digestion, we would start doing this. Like if you're going to eat fruit, you just eat alone and then you don't eat your next meal for like two more hours. So we don't want to like combine fruit with rice because rice is harder to digest and fruit digest really quick. So then you have these foods in your system where the rice isn't going to digest and then it turns the ama, which is undigested food. And then that can lead to candida, which candida can cause bloating and yeast, overgrowth of yeast and gas and pain um, and constipation. You know, it's it's funny when I did my yoga training, she's like, you should be having a bowel movement after every meal. And I was like, whoa, like, you know, and there's certain constitutions that are prone to constipation. So that's like something they will have to work on. But like eating regular meals in the diet, working with the digestive fire, the Agni. So if our digestive Agni is, it's like a fire. Imagine you have a fire in your digestion and you don't have regular eating times then your fire gets weaker 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 and you don't get hungry and then it's just like it's like putting fire it's like putting water on a fire and so if your digest if your agni you don't have the fire then you can't even digest all your food so then it just goes undigested and so all this just like piling on top leads to digestion issues so we really want to like work with the chewing the food making sure you're eating in a calm environment, you're not like standing up and eating, and then incorporating the herbs. But there's simple things you can do, like fennel. Like, you know, you go to Indian restaurant, they have fennel there for a reason, the seeds. Like, you can have fennel seeds in your house, and you eat that every time. You eat like four seeds every time after you eat your food. And that, the fennel helps you digest. And it's, it's powerful. Just chew those four seeds every time after you eat. And that could help with gas, bloating. You know, if it's as simple as that for some, some people it's as simple as that. Um, making sure you're not like snacking. And granted, like everyone has a different approach to how they should eat. But this is how I was trained in the Ayurveda way is that you want to have anywhere from five to seven hours between your meal. It depends on the agni of the person, how long you can go without eating. But the snacking, snacking all day and not, it doesn't allow your digestion to rest. So then basically if you just ate lunch and then an hour later you eat some more food, like a snack, then it's putting your body star stops digesting that food to digest the food you just put in so then you have this food that's not digested because the energy has to go oh she's putting more food in so it just creates like putting food on top of food it's putting undigested food on top of undigested food and so being really good about like not snacking allowing yourself to get hungry we want to feel hungry like you want that feeling grant but you don't want to like get to the point where you're feeling like you're starving yourself or you're like oh feel weak you know but feeling that first twinge of like oh i'm hungry you know and so the snacking the eating like every two hours it's it's like and for what I've learned, it's it's horrible on your digestion because we want to allow our digestion to rest. 
and have periods in the day where it's not constantly having to digest food all the time. So if you give yourself, you know, you eat breakfast and say you get hungry, you're the person who has, you have a really strong agni and you have to eat every five hours, then you would just not eat, eat anything for five hours and then your next meal would be in five hours. So that that's uh, how working with digestion, I personally would work with a client um, and just incorporating those small changes in their life and then we can start working with triphala um, which cleanses the digestive tract and, um, yeah, helps with bloating and... You mentioned dandelion too earlier. Dandelion, yeah. Mm -hmm. Dandelion's great. Any kind of bitter that stimulates the gastric juices. So when you eat dandelion leaves, you eat them and they're bitter. And the thing is that we used to need to eat bitters in our food, like we need bitters, we need to have a healthy balance of bitters. But with our modern day diet that you go to the grocery store and get, we've come accustomed to not liking bitters. Like we taste bitters, we're like, ooh, like people can't handle it. And where our ancestors and years ago, like ancient times, bitters were like a part of we didn't get so like, oh, that's so intense. And it's like we've lost the taste for it because we haven't. It's not in our Western, in our diets. Like if you get, if you eat packaged food, you're not going to be eating bitters. It's all sweet and salty. And so there's, we, the reason why bitters was just like put into a salad or, you know, I will, I'll saute dandelion greens is because it's helping cleanse the liver. And, and then it, it um, it ignites those gastric juices to prepare you to bring the food into your body and digest it. So, yeah, bitters are great. And there, you know, in the U.S., there's people, a lot of herbalists that make bitter tinctures that you would, like aperitifs are bitters that you would drink like a little aperitif of beer or something before a meal because hops is in beer and that's a bitter so if you use as medicine, you just drink a little bit of hops, like 10 minutes before a meal, then that's going to stimulate your gastric juices. And also ginger. So if you just cut up ginger, put a little bit of lime and salt, and you eat it, chew it. You know, some people would be intense for a little while, but you get used to it. It's really yummy. And you do that five minutes before you eat. And your body's just like ready. It's prepared, it stimulates those gastric juices. So it doesn't always have to be better. It's like ginger is amazing. Um, yeah. It seems like, an, you know, even from a more Western perspective, that was something that, that as you, you're saying, it has been really lost. I mean, even in a lot of cultures, France or Italy, that was very common, like an, an aperitif yes. and also a, a, a digestive, like when you're done, like having a, a shot of these. Mm -hmm. I think that's something a lot of people don't realize too, is like that's it what was. alcohol was. It was yeah. plants that were macerated in alcohol to serve a medicinal function. Yes, and it wasn't, they weren't just doing this to do it. Like in France, it's huge. It's like they were doing it to help digest before and after. And beer, original beer was just all plants. It was all plants, like mugwort. It was all bitter plants. Mugwort is a bitter, hops. 
And it was all just this brew of plants. And you would drink a little of that before or after. And I know in France they still do this. Like, cultures still do it. And, um, like, here I could see maybe the chicha. Chicha has, like, a sour, bitter flavor. That could be, like, a bitter here in Peru, like, to have a little bit of chicha. But the beer now, it's not, you know, there's some... Um, if you look back at, like, there's certain, but there's a few books where they go back to the ancient uses of beer and how it was made. It was made with plants. It was all plants, no yeast. There was no yeast in there, no, like, it was all, like, all these bitter plants. And now it's just, like, solely hops, you know? And so it was a medicine. And so I'm glad you brought that up because it was used. They would drink it after. It wasn't, they weren't just like drinking it, drink it. It was like, there is a reason. But fennel, you know, in India they use fennel. You just chew some fennel seeds. It's amazing. Yeah, wine as well. I think wine. that's something a lot of people don't realize too is most wine was, because uh, now we just think of wine being from grapes. Yeah. But you could have like elder wine yeah. or... Uh, you know, dandelion wine. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was all sorts of different wines that was, again, like combining, extracting the, the essence or, I mean, even in the English language, we call it spirits. Like yeah. you were extracting the spirit of the plant via mm-hmm. alcohol. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's something we've really, I think, lost in a way. Yeah. And I feel we've lost it because we're, we've lost our, a lot of us have lost connection to our ancestral, um, the ancestral, especially the European, um, uh, those of us come from the European lineages because that's where the most witch burnings were happening of healers, midwives, herbalists, you know, all those, everything was burned, all those texts, like people were being, killed for their medicine they were carrying and that wasn't passed down so there's like a sever in the wisdom and so I think it's like a lot of us are searching for this like connection to our source to our ancestors because it's been severed and it's it's like we have to relearn it all again because I mean I think in my own family there isn't any like there's not even one medicine person that I know in my lineage uh, that I knew that was alive yeah they're in my lineage for sure but not that was living or that there was like an ancient family recipe that was used for healing like it it wasn't it was lost and and so I feel our work right now for a lot of us on this planet is to revivalize, revitalize it and that just comes down to reconnecting with the earth get like if we have access to have a little garden like putting our hands in the earth and um it's so crucial right for the next generations for this wisdom this and it's because all our ancestors have this wisdom it just was not passed down and so we're having to re-earth it like re like dig it back up from the earth which it's not easy, you know, it's, it's not a easy, it's not easy to go back to the, that type of wisdom if we're so used to this type of way of living, you know, but, um, 
And I feel that's why I'm doing the work I'm doing just to empower. Like I really want to, I really want to empower people and reach kids and reach because, you know, and women help women because if, if women are, have the whole household and they have children and they can be empowered to heal their family, just their family, you don't have to go out there healing but if you can just heal your new your family or like four or five people in your family, that is really empowering. And then you don't have to rely on the Western model that just isn't sustainable. Especially if you don't have health care, it's not sustainable. Um, so yeah, I think I feel it's time to bring this stuff back to the surface because. I just don't know if it can be hidden anymore. I just can't. It has to be resurfaced. And there's lots of healing to do around it with what happened in Europe. I mean, Europe had the most, that's where it's originated. It had the, like, just killing anybody that was a healer or a midwife. Or I mean, that's pretty... So I feel, you know, we have to heal that ancestral trauma, all of us, and we have to bring it back. And that I feel for those of us who are working in, with plants or in the healing realm, is I, it's just bringing the empowerment back to the people. Because um, once you can feel empowered, there isn't going to be a fear around working with plants. And I've experienced this too, working with a few clients of, of fear. They're fearful of the plants opposed to the medication they're taking. And I, you know, I, when I first started starting herbalism, I was like blown away. I was like, whoa. And then I started like hiding these parts of myself of like, wow, like people are really, I couldn't understand that they had a fear and they had a fear because there wasn't a person in a white coat coming telling them to take this and there wasn't a list of all the side effects, you know? And it's like, most plants don't have a list of side effects. But I think it just, if we can, there's a fear there. And if there's a fear and you don't trust in the plants, then there, we have to heal a lot. If there's, because the fear isn't of the plants, the fear is of mother nature. You know, if, if you were to tell someone to go on a vision quest and go sleep in a tent and they'd live in a city their whole life, there would be some fear there. That would be scary to be alone in nature because we've lost trust with nature. We look at it as like this, this force that could kill us, right? And so that's where I have realized, have seen where the fear is coming in because it's, a it's just coming back to the disconnect of Mother Nature and that we have fear in it or that we've developed a fear from nature. And so when you see people that live really close to the earth, like the children here, they, they're so connected to the earth, you know? And so that is true empowerment. If we can come back to our true nature and this like fear of nature that's somehow gotten infused in our vocabulary and we need, it's like we have, it's a rewiring process that needs to be done. And I feel it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. I know it is.
I'm excited. <laughs> well, that's a huge thing, I think. It, as you said, it, you know, fear... Because in a sense, fear of nature is also fear of the unknown. And, mm-hmm. and we, we create all of these systems that seemingly make us safe. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, to some degree they can. And, and not, to, not to disregard that. I mean, having a house, it's a really beautiful thing. It, it keeps you safe you know, mm-hmm. from, from the elements and from even potentially like invaders. And it keeps you warm. Mm-hmm. But kind of as you were talking about, that imbalance when that house can also become a prison in a way. Yeah. If, if all of our safety is tied into that house and, and we are afraid to step outside. And, mm-hmm. um, so I think that's really important what you were talking about, this idea of, of like empowering people. Um, you know, like even if I look at my own family... Uh, you know, I would say my parents have, they didn't have so much of a connection to natural remedies. Mm-hmm. But my grandparents, uh, especially on my father's side, definitely did, uh, wow. you know, because they, they grew up in the countryside and they, they did everything. Like my grandfather, like you didn't hire a plumber or an electrician. Like he just did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's no like... My grandmother, you never called a cleaning lady or she didn't call a gardener to go plant plants. Like everything, they did it. Um, it was their job. Mm-hmm. It was their life, you know. And I feel we have to find, we've had to find other ways to make money that it's like, oh, you just stay home and tend to your house and your garden. That's not a job. And it's like, why not? <laughs> like, why not? Homesteading's a job. That's a job. You know, but if it doesn't have a financial number on it and you're not getting this amount of money, then it's like, you're like looked down upon, right? Mm -hmm. Like women too, like women that stay home with their kids. It's like, oh, well, you don't work. And then it creates this like, it's like, that's a job. Like she's tending to the home. Mm -hmm. And, you know, traditionally in like, in communities where it was just barter trade before like money came in, that's what you did. That was your job. You'd wake up and tend to your land and your house because it's a full-time job. And so to have both is really challenging. If you're out working five days a week, you know, it's really, you have to call upon the, like, lady to come clean your house, to watch your kids, you know? But, yeah, I totally understand. Like, your our grandparents and all, and they didn't have that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then if I think of my great-grandparents, uh, my great-grandmother had like a, a, a really extensive knowledge of plants. And, oh. um, but, you know, even, so, you know, you can kind of like see that kind of slow loss of each generation. But but even if I think of my grandmother, especially my great-grandmother, uh, you know, it was also interesting because my great-grandmother, who had a, a quite a bit of knowledge of plants, my grandfather, her husband, was also a medical doctor, so oh. it was quite an interesting combination. But that's beautiful, though. Uh, but even like for small things, like uh, even my grandmother, like for most problems, they would often like you'd give someone an enema, kind of in that way of like the first thing is you want to clean the system mm-hmm. before you administer a plant. Yeah. Um, if someone was sick, you would give them you know, a shot of whiskey or ginger or lemon or honey, you know, these, mm-hmm. these like really simple remedies or, um, 
you know, there, there was all these trees and plants on the land. So it was always the first thing was, well, let's go for that. Yeah. And, then, and it, those seem to be things that, I mean, obviously it's also a different lifestyle for, you know, I think for the first time in human history, more people are living in cities than they are in the countryside. Mm-hmm. So for a lot of people, that's not necessarily a possibility too. It's not, if you're living in New York City, you can't just, oh, I'm going to go to the Hawthorne tree or something. Yeah. Um, but that idea of empowerment seems really important mm-hmm. um, because it seems like there are so many ailments uh, that, as you said, especially if they're treated early, they don't become that big of a deal. Um, yeah. And so what kind of advice would you have for people like to begin to to learn that empowerment? Because I think, as yeah. you said, like a lot of... A lot of this can just seem like overwhelming. Yeah. Like, how the hell would I start? Like, I don't know any of these plants. Super like, overwhelming. Also scared, you know. Like, if if I get sick, like I don't want to like, and it's my kid, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to like give him dandelion, and then I find out that's not the right plant. Yeah. It's really sick. But right. but what are maybe some some like tools or tips to to kind of begin to start that empowerment process? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm glad you brought that up because. Uh, yeah, it's it can be really overwhelming when you start talking about all these plants. And, you know, you gave the example of someone living in New York, so I'm going to go with that. If you live in a city, so empowerment is pretty, I look at self-care. So if you lived in a city and there's herbal apothecaries in most cities, most cities you go and there's like an herbal apothecary and they have all the herbs or teas. And a lot of times they have an herbalist there that can do a consultation with you or you do it over the counter or you go to acupuncturist. You know, you find what you resonate with. Maybe you're really into acupuncture. Maybe you're in Ayurveda. But if you were to go to acupuncturist, for instance, and they give you a bag of herbs, which is usually what they'll do. They'll do a treatment and give you either the raw herbs or the powder that person then has to take that home, and that's a responsibility. It's not just a pill you're putting in your mouth. That's easy, right? You actually have to like take the drink these this tea of herbs maybe three times a day, either before or after food, and you have to make it. If it's the raw herbs, you actually have to cook it, which I really think that's amazing because that gets people more involved in their healing, and they're making their medicine. If it's powder, then you still have to boil the water and pour it over and make sure you're, you know, taking these herbs every day. Same if you go to herbal apothecary and they give you a bag of tea, you have to boil the water, you have to steep the herbs. You may, sometimes if they're roots, you'll have to do a decoction, which means boiling for 15 minutes. That is empowerment because that person's taking their health into their own hands. They're not just handed this like pill that's white and they just put it in their mouth. There's not a. They don't have a connection with that pill, because it's, it's um. It's dead. You know, it's like drinking dead water. So, if you go home with herbs and these plants, and it has a taste, you know, you may chew it, or it has like a specific taste. These herbs, maybe they're really bitter. Where the pill, you just swallow. It, it's not so much as a self care practice. So if people can incorporate any type of self-care, if it's like giving yourself an oil massage or a bath or a plant bath, that is empowerment. Like say your kid, your child is just really having a tantrum and just seems energetically really off. You know, if you have children, you know your children. 
what if you go get some flowers from the herbal apothecary and you give your child a herbal bath and you notice, or chamomile bath, you give them chamomile bath and they're like calming and then their, their sleep is getting better and your sleep's getting better. That Then you've just, that's a state of empowerment. So you don't have to go out there and harvest the plants. You can go to your local herbalist or your apothecary and get the plants. Um, or, and, or you go to a trained herbalist somewhere and they give you herbs, you know, um, or you go on a plant walk. But I also would recommend if someone, if people are really interested in just learning basics about how to prepare a tea, because, you know, there's a certain way to prepare tea opposed to how to prepare roots, if you're cooking roots, because you need to do a, actually boil them, how to make like a plant bath how to make like a herbal infused honey or like a fire cider vinegar or elderberry syrup for your immune system. These are like basic things you just have around the house if you have kids or for yourself. I would recommend maybe an online um, program. Um, there's an herbalist called Rosemary Gladstar. She's amazing. She does an online like medicine making um, workshop or if, if you don't online is not your way of learning you could find an herbalist in your area and go on a plant walk or get a book like rosemary glassstar has amazing books that have recipes like herbal recipes like a cookbook and you could take like two recipes out of there and have like a immunity syrup to get you through the winter so that's not as overwhelming you know people could start small they could just start doing self-care and if you start doing self-care, like a foot bath and self-love, that is going to be empowerment. It doesn't have to be like you're ingesting like all these plants every day. It can be because that small shift in your life will just start to become a ritual. It's the rituals. Like what rituals can we um, bring into our life that will bring empowerment? So yeah, I always recommend that with people that live in cities. And when you live in a city, there's access to healers and herbalists. And um, you, there's always like weekend workshops that people can go to to learn how to make like a few medicines. And then you know how to make them. So that's what I recommend. Um, yeah, or like classes. I've done Zoom classes online teaching people how to make medicine. Um, I prefer to do in person <laughs> for like medicine making because it's like, but Rosemary Gladstar is amazing. She's like one of the most well-known herbalists in the U.S. and she does online um, medicine making classes. But if you're in like Peru or Mexico, you can always find um, you can always go to the Mercado, like here in Peru, and you can go to the Mercado, and the women selling the plants, you could just go, like, ask them questions. Like, I just love going talking to them, like, what do you use this plant for? What's the name of this plant? You know, and they'll just, like, tell you. And so that's a way you could just learn from, and that's, like, free education. They'll, they'll sit there and tell you, you know. Or you could even go to them and tell them, like, what's going on with you, and they'll suggest a plant. So, um, I would start there. It's a good way to start small. <laughs> 
You mentioned a, a few times when we were talking, I forget the word you use, but like power plants or these stronger plants. How how do you see those incorporated and, and how would you differentiate those between other plants? Yeah, so the power plants are the master plants that, you know, are used ceremonial and they're stronger and you wouldn't necessarily take them every day you know, because it's, they're such strong plants. Um, I really, you know, I've worked with ayahuasca. It's been, and I've worked with other power plants that have been really potent in my healing process. I also learned that they can teach you trust, to trust the plant completely, because they take you to such, like, they t- take you those places of death. And if you don't trust that plant in your body, then it's going to be a harder, a harder journey. You're going to be like, just like fighting against the spirit. And those, I really recommend those plants, people that are really working with physical stuff for sure, but also a lot of emotional, deep seated stuff like shadow work and they're really powerful of course you want to do it with people that you trust that can really hold a safe container and I also started working with ayahuasca in like a very subtle body way so that when I you know I've sat in ceremony and not drink the medicine and I've had profound experiences just not just sitting I intentionally wanted to sit with it with the spirit and not ingest it in my body. And so I've worked in it within a lot of different ways. I've worked with it in like homeopathic micro, like small dosing to really access the, the subtle body, the subtle essence, the feel that subtle energy. I also feel that the spirit of the person has to be ready. And if that spirit's not ready, it can put them in a darker space if they don't have the right integration and the right follow through after i also feel people that have severe trauma um it can put them in really deep states where it can put them back in that traumatic situation which for some people that would not be the best situation to replay that trauma out So there's a way of working with it where it's just like knowing the person and what they're working with and how to dose them. Because I really think dosing matters. You know, I've had teachers that say the dosing doesn't matter. And I don't agree with that. I've really, I've worked with the medicine quite a bit and I've worked with my own dosing. And I've had, I started becoming more sensitive and working with on a smaller dosing than like huge dosing. Where the huge dosing for me would take me out of my body and would reactivate traumas or I would go into, I would leave my body, but not leave my body. I would leave my body as a coping mechanism. And granted, yeah, I was playing out old, um, old patterns of mine, but if you're leaving your body out of a coping mechanism and you don't feel like you're in a safe environment and then you're drinking this plant, then it can just, it's hard to receive the healing. So what I found is, you know, working with someone who really meets you in the middle and they know what you're really working with, either if you're working, if you're working with a really emotional, traumatic 
thing because it's going to bring up stuff, you know, the medicine. So I've, I've worked with it in the subtle dosing. And I found for me, when I work with it on like such a like homeopathic, subtle dosing, I actually get more, I get more profound uh, teachings because I stay, I, for me, I stay in my body and I don't catapult and just like have moments where I don't even know what happened or remember, you know, like go catatonic or whatever. So if, he, if certain people are going to the catatonic states, it may serve some people, and, but then the other people it may not serve them that well because it really depends what's going on with them. Um, really being sensitive to the traumas they've had. And if it's... Because we don't want to leave our body. We don't want our spirit to leave our body. If our spirit's leaving our body, then we have to do like a soul retrieval. Unless you're trained, you know, in the African tradition um, that I've learned from different healers in Africa is they do trance dancing, the Sangomas. The Sangomas are the healers. And they don't work with plants at all. How they do their ceremonies is trance dancing. And they jump and they dance for hours until their spine, their kundalini energy, their body gets really warm. Then once your body's warm, then your spirit leaves. You can, you're trained where your spirit leaves and then you can access and like messages and then bring it back. But then the spirit re-enters the body because the body's warm. So if the spirit leaves the body when it's cold and in a fear state, that's your spirit disassociating and then you need a soul retrieval to call your spirit back. So it's, it's, um, and I've seen this with ceremony work. I've seen people leave their bodies because it just wasn't the right container. And I really think, I really feel there there needs to be more, the spirit of the person has to be ready. And that person serving the medicine has to know that this per know a little history about the person. And because we also, we, like I it's not part of my culture. I wasn't born into it. You know, the Shipibo and all the people that work with their culture, they work with ayahuasca, they were born into it. They were like sitting in those ceremonies since they were like two, even in the womb of their mothers. So it's like they, it's in them. That Like the navigation, it's in them. And so I think for those of us who aren't familiar, haven't, weren't born into this, these teachings at like age two, we're, we have to learn how to, we have to learn how to work with that plant spirit because it's really strong, you know, it's really strong, but it's profound. I mean, I, I've seen amazing healing and people for myself, it rewired so much. Um, but after observing people doing it and me working with it so long, I, that spirit is in you. Like you don't necessarily need to ingest it. It's actually like I call upon grandmother to help me in parts of my life. I call upon Mapacho when I feel like I really need that plant because the spirit will just arrive. I don't need to necessarily be ingesting it every day. So it's like building that type of relationship with the medicine and, um, and it's from my own personal experience because I had a really um, 
difficult time with that plant. It was a really challenging um, relationship. And I've just gotten to the point where I've like have a totally different relationship. But it was, you know, working with it. I started working with it in my 20s and I was like, I don't get it. Like, why? And I, you know, keep trying and trying. And it was like, and it would just be really intense experiences. And, um, and I learned through those experiences that I wasn't ready to face what she was bringing up for me. And, you know, not trusting the spirit in my body and going to the edge of death and going to all that. Like, we have to be ready. And I don't know if my spirit was ready then. I mean, I for I was like, I'm going to keep doing it because I'm stubborn, you know. Like, I'm going to build a relationship with this plant. And it was funny because she... It was just a big dis... She was teaching me I was really disconnected from my femininity, you know, like bringing... I wasn't comfortable with my feminine side, and it was so out of balance. But I remember at a ceremony, and this will happen with plants, where she was just like... I had this profound message. She's like, you're, you're going to take a break from drinking, and you, you need to work with San Pedro before you come back and drink with me. And I did a San Pedro dieta, and I started working with San Pedro. And I had... I realized I had to really work with, like healing that masculine side of me before I could really work with her and trust her. Like I had to work with like more the energy of San Pedro before I could go back to her. So like, I, I know power plants will do this. They'll like bring another plant into your view for you to actually go work with that plant before you work with her. And so, yeah, I could go on forever about that, but I highly recommend it to people but I don't recommend it to everyone because I, I really, really got to know like the traumas people have and because it's going to reactivate, it's going to put them in that traumatic um, state again, which can be really scary to that person if they're having to relive that trauma and then that's not healing the nervous system. So like for someone that's in that state, I would work with maybe some other plants before getting them to ayahuasca, you know, like work with some other gentler plants that can help them face that, what they need to face to, and then they'll be ready for the power, like the power plant. Um, can you give an example of maybe what other plants can be? Well, one, the one plant, like Chittix Sanango, for like clearing fear out of the bones, that, you know, because I feel if somebody has a lot of fear in them, that we need to work with that first because it comes up when you're drinking the medicine. And if you're in a fear state and they don't have tools or meditation tools to work through the fear, then it can just like catapult them into like a deeper state to where they're not really getting the true essence of the teachings because they're so like in it, you know, the, and it's such a meditative plant. Like it's great if you have a meditation practice first before you do anything like that, or like some sort of practice to really bring you to your breath and your center when these like scary things come up. Um, but doing a dieta with that, where it like clears the fear that, cause fear can get like deep in your bones and it can be ancestral fear. That's like, 
And fear is like totally debilitating. And it can put people in states where their spirit will want to leave their body. And so like doing something like that and then going to the medicine, but it also depends on the container, right? Like, cause there's so many people serving the medicine now and people having horrible experiences because they've been led to like so people that are just doing it for money. You know, it's sad. It's, it's happening, but and I think they haven't had the best experiences because they weren't in the safest container for what they had going on emotionally. And there needs to be a sense of safety for those really fragile people that are healing really deep stuff, like deep traumas. And the medicine can heal it. It's just the, the container and the safety. It's all about safety and how they feel in that safe space and... Um, but even like tobacco, you know, working with tobacco first and clearing energies and then like baby steps to, cause I always, I'm like, it's just, you know, when you're born into these type of ceremonial settings, it's like nothing to you. You're doing, you know, you're doing these ceremonies ever since you were a kid. It's like, you're just like. But then when you ha weren't born into this type of setting, it's like you're like a baby. Like you're, you have to go through it all. And, um, but it's re I really feel the medicine is so potent in these times. I also feel it is being, there's pe it's like just have discernment with everything. Any ceremony work you do have discernment because there it has become an industry where it's like tourist tourism, spiritual tourism. So um just making sure the container like you really feel a deep trust for the people that you're gonna sit with. Because if if you don't have it if you don't have that trust or you have intuitive mistrust, then you'd be better off going to someone else, like listening to that. Cause it's gonna shape your experience if it's like your first time, you know, so, um, yeah, I've revisited the medicine, uh, just recently, and after a long seven years of just not working with it, just not, just because I'm working with it in different ways, like really calling upon it, like once you ingest it, she's always there helping you, like you can always call upon the spirit of the plant to protect you and guide you. You know, it's like you have to keep that relationship going even if you're not ingesting it. And so, yeah, it's a beautiful plant. And I've seen people heal a lot from it. But I also, I had a friend who was working with it and he had a lot of addictions, like drugs and alcohol. And I was helping him and I found, I was like, just come to ceremony with me. And, and he kept trying it and kept trying it and it just kept putting him in a deeper, deeper, like it can bring the shadow parts out so strong that there can be a point in your life where that shadow is so strong that it makes the addiction even stronger. So his addiction got even stronger and he went even more down the like drug abuse and 
it wasn't working for him. Like he, but he would have needed like a month stay somewhere, like an actual like, you go work with the medicine for a month and you're like, in a whole transformational. So I think people are trying to heal really deep stuff and just do it a few times. I think it's really hard, especially if you have to go back to your old life and your friends where all those addictions are there. So, and I know you, you, the foundation you work for, you guys do it in a very like retreat setting for like longer periods. So it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. You spoke a, a few times about this idea, um, like kind of this masculine or feminine energy in the world. And mm-hmm. like part of your calling is, is especially working with women to like to cultivate this. And even this idea of like you know, burning witches, of, of kind of mm-hmm. suppressing this knowledge, this energy. And then even in your own experience, like you, you worked, uh, you know, you were saying, maybe it was ayahuasca and you'd started to heal this feminine part of yourself and, and then with tobacco, this masculine, Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of people like intuitively understand that, but I also think there's a lot of confusion around that, um, uh, especially more and more in these days we live in. And, and I think a lot of that, as you said, is, is kind of this disconnect to nature, like these natural cycles, uh, even these ways of looking at things like the four elements, like, you know, what does that mean? What is that, what is that pointing towards with the cycles of nature and, um, all of these ideas like hot and cold, like they're, mm-hmm. you know, it's the same, that polarity, there can be an imbalance. So what is that when you're speaking of like masculine and feminine, what does that, what does that mean for you? And, and, and what does that look like? Yeah. So we, all of us have masculine and feminine energy And it's when we don't, when those aren't balanced within us, then we, our life will be, um, directed by one specific energy. So for instance, like, okay, the masculine energy is there to like support. And we had like my masculine energy is learning to support my, I can support myself through my masculine energy, like emotional support or um, the, the sacred masculine supporting the divine feminine. So like if the feminine feels supported by the masculine, then the feminine feels safe to express or to be creative and be in their intuition if they're just being supported. So for, for an example would be like, you know, the masculine energy is, very um we need it like I need my masculine energy to go out in the world and get things done and be very like rational about things and if I was always in my feminine state I would just be like (laughs) you know like dreaming and like create you know the feminine is like creativity intuition emotions being in the flow creative and so when men have their feminine energy, it's so beautiful because they're able to come off the masculine and just really be creative and intuitive. And um, and then when they can be really masculine, when they can, when they're balanced in their masculine, they can show up for women to support the divine feminine. And and so that's where I think a lot of the imbalance has happened in our culture is like 
the divine feminine has been, we've had to, a lot of women have repressed that side of ourselves because we live in such a masculine uh, way of living where we like trying to get up the ladder and really like make money and that very like outward energy where the feminine is very inward and receiving and and the masculine is like giving and so like for me I really had to balance it because I had such a repression and we you know for each person their case is different like to really know when you're in your masculine energy and when you're in your feminine energy or maybe you're never in your feminine energy like maybe men there's some men that are never tuned in their feminine energy and it's so beautiful the feminine energy in men is so beautiful it's like men don't just have masculine and women don't just have feminine we have both inside of us and the balance comes as like for me knowing when I need to take a go inward and be in my intuitive state and not be trying to make decisions all from the logical mind. You know, that's me coming in my femininity and using my intuition where in the past I would always just come from the rational masculine, get things done. And so it wasn't working for me because I, and I had to rewire it all. And the medicine taught me that, you know, I had a teacher or a teacher once who I was drinking medicine with and he he could just see that I was struggling with this like feminine energy of the medicine you know because some people can say ayahuasca is masculine but a lot of people say feminine and so like she's a feminine energy and she comes in and it's like almost this fear of that like feminine power like the power that women can have in creating things and being in this world and how we have created the world and women going and trying to like make all this money and get really competition with the male the masculine has created this disconnect from the feminine and so for me to come back around like I was in a ceremony once and I was very disconnected from my femininity very very disconnected like I my whole life was very much, my energy was very masculine. I was always, I didn't need anyone to help me. I was always figuring it out on my own. I don't need support. You know, it's just like, now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, I need this support. And he looked at me one day, like on the, we were on the mess and he was doing a healing. He was just like, he explained it really well. Cause he's like, you're masculine. Cause I thought it was my masculine that was out of balance, but it was my feminine that was repressed. Cause my masculine was, had my feminine like chained. So like when, so like my masculine had taken over so much that it had my feminine chained up that I couldn't even express my femininity. I was so repressed. So I had to like remove all the layers. So it's something that takes time, I think, that for people to figure out or to like tune into for themselves and really getting familiar with what the energy is of masculine and feminine. And we need them both. Like there's times when I need to be in my masculine energy and there's times when I need to be in my feminine energy, but there's not times when I need to be always in my masculine energy. That is not healthy you know, for anyone, um, and finding that softness. So, you know, once I was able to really explore and like, it takes, I think the medicine really helps with seeing these sides of ourselves, the masculine, feminine, and 
you know, I worked with San Pedro because that was a masculine energy and I always felt so comfortable with San Pedro. It was always just like a walk in the park, like, oh, like I feel so comfortable with this masculine energy. And then when I drank the ayahuasca, it was just like, I don't feel comfortable in this energy. Like this doesn't feel good to me, you know? And so I had to un I had to rev like pull the layers for myself. And, you know, for everyone, it plays out different. But I feel, you know, when we can come into balance with our own inner masculine feminine, then it's going to be a collective um, reciprocity of the feminine and the masculine and the masculine supporting the divine feminine and the support that women need and the support that men need. Like men need men need support from the divine feminine, not the toxic feminine and not the toxic masculine, because there's toxic feminine and there's toxic masculine. But men need the support from us. And we need to be able to provide that for your masculine. In a relationship, you know, if, if, we're in a, if I'm in a relationship and there's that feminine and masculine dynamic, but even when you're in a same-sex relationship, you're still playing out the feminine and masculine so whatever, however it plays out, the partners need to know how to show up for each other in the feminine and masculine way. Um, and men need that too, just like women need the support from the masculine to support our visions and dreams and hold the space. And, and that's where it's like, it feels so imbalanced in our culture because it's just like, it's it's imbalance in the work, like when people, like in the corporate industry and how we, I feel like how we run politics and everything, it's, it's so from a, it's, it's not from, it's the feminine is lost because like we need the intuitive heart connection in these types of situations and that's just like not regarded, you know? So if we can all tune into that on our own. I mean, we have to tune into it on our own and heal it on our own. Then it could really shift a lot in our culture and our how we run the world. And and I also think a lot a lot of it has to do with the loss of rites of passages for men and women. That men, you know, you know, maybe at age seven, depending on the culture, they were they were being initiated into these roles and and that was needed for them to really be in their masculine energy and and feel like they're providing for their families and the community and so yeah I think may I feel that you know this would be a beautiful process to like re re-earth the rites of passages if for children now that you know if I were to have a kid or you were to have a kid, like just really re-implement these because we had it, it got lost. And I know it's still happening. It's just um, hard to find, I feel. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's complex for because everyone is dealing with it differently. And it depends, you know, how your relationship with how you're raised and, you know, what you saw growing up. So, um, 
but if it's balanced, then it can really be a beautiful, um, a beautiful energies to not fear, to not be scared of that feminine side of you, not be scared of that masculine side. It's it's knowing when to use those energies, and when they're needed and when they're not needed. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, beautiful, Sandra. We're we're at a two and a half hours. Oh my gosh! Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is there anything uh, else you'd like to talk about that we didn't get to? No, I think. Yeah, that was really. Yeah, thank you for having me. Mm. Yeah. Well, one thing actually, I do herbal retreats, and we have one in Peru that's full. But um, our next one is in Costa Rica, and. Uh, it's going to be March 28th to April 3rd. So, you know, I don't know if you put my website in the show notes, but if people are interested to dive deeper with herbalism, it's a herbal retreat. The one in Costa Rica is only for women. The one here is co-ed, but the one here is full. Um, if they want to dive deeper, we, we do retreats for herbalism and how to make stuff. And, um, yeah, you can find me on my website, oshamaisherbal.com. That's O-S-H-A-M-A-I-Z-E herbal.com. Okay, great. Yeah. And uh, they can learn more about the retreats and they can contact you Mm -hmm. if someone wants to. Yeah, I could do consultations. Yeah. Yeah. And you do that uh, in person and also virtually you can do that Mm -hmm. as well? Yeah, Yeah. Great. Well, this was wonderful, Thank Sandra. You. Thank you so much. This yeah. was uh, this uh, a lot of topics I've been wanting to talk about for a while. So uh, it's kind of beautiful how life unfolds, and yeah. I, I think you're you're a perfect person to do that. So thank uh, you, because I, I think these are all really really important topics, and mm-hmm. it, it's something that's that's often overlooked. And, and as you said, I, I think it's actually part of that that transformation that the world is is looking for and needing is, is that sense of empowerment of mm-hmm. connecting to nature of, of, of realizing, you know, all of these things that, that, that may be out of balance, how to bring them into balance, how to care for ourselves, how to care for others. Um, and it's, uh, it's all right there at our mm-hmm. fingertips. So yeah. yeah, thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody, that is it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sandra. I really enjoyed sitting down with her and catching up, getting to know a bit more about her story. Uh, and it's uh, it's a really important part of this work, of, of working with plants, is this idea of, of herbalism. And also she spoke about uh, this idea of plant spirit medicine. So I hope you all got a lot out of that episode. You enjoyed it. As always, if you're able to support this podcast, that's a really big help to me. Patreon is a really good option. Uh, for as little as a dollar a month, you can sign up. Uh, it may seem like a small amount, but every dollar helps. Uh, there's different tiers you can sign up for, and with that, you get uh, different things back, things like early access to shows, bonus material, Q&As. To all of the people who have done that, to all of the patrons, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate all of your support, and if you're able to do that, thank you very much in advance. There's also the ability to direct donate via PayPal. I'll put a link to those in the show notes. There's also with YouTube now the option to join the channel. Um, And then if you're not able to do that, 
and you're viewing on YouTube, if you can hit the subscribe button, turn on the notification bell, like the video, that's a really big help with the algorithms, getting the show out to a bigger audience. And with the audio version, uh, Apple Podcasts, following the show, uh, or whatever uh, format you're listening to, following the show is a really big help. And then uh, if you can, going on Apple Podcasts and leaving a starred rating and a short review that really helps. So I think that's it. Uh, I have a number of guests coming up. Um, I have a guy coming on to speak about uh, essential oils, um, which is another form of uh, administering plant medicine. Uh, Jeremy Narby, the anthropologist and uh, author, is coming on. Um, I have some other guests too, but I, I can't think of them right now off the top of my head. But as always, there should be some really fascinating guests coming on. So thank you all for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, thank you all for the support, and I will see you all on the next episode. Thank mm-hmm. you.